wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. And just like that, it's over. It's hard to believe my four-year college career at Endicott College has come to an end. Graduated Saturday. The birthplace of WrestleRant Radio debuted on the airwaves back in October of 2013. Been going strong for the past four years. Got to thank RJ and Tom, respectively, for their tenures here on the show. RJ from early 2014, March of 2014, to uh, May of 2016. And then uh, Tommy from this past fall and late 2016 to just last week. Uh, I'm sure we'll have both guys on the show. I mean, RJ's appeared on you know on, on occasion over the past year or so. Uh, Tommy, I'm sure we will have on, on again in the future. But other than that, it's uh, back to flying solo here on Wrestle Rant Radio. It's, it's a sad day, but it's also a great day, too, coming off a stacked week in the world of wrestling, specifically WWE, uh, from TakeOver last Saturday to Backlash on Sunday, Raw Monday, SmackDown Tuesday, and everything else that has gone along with everything that has gone on in the WWE for the past seven days or so. Uh, we'll break in, We'll be breaking down all these events and much, much more right here on the show today. But before we get started, the cheap plugs, um, be sure to check out me on Twitter at WrestleRant in the middle of a hiatus at the moment, but I will be back at some point in the foreseeable future. Uh, Facebook, same thing at facebook.com backslash graham.jason.matthews. Subscribe on YouTube for original content going up pretty much every single day of the week at youtube.com backslash C backslash graham.jason.matthews. And finally, new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio, not changing folks, up every single Thursday right here on nextairwrestling.net. Uh, so again, without further ado, let's get started here. A uh, lot to talk about. I probably will not discuss 205 Live and um, NXT as I usually do. 205 Live was actually a pretty good show this week. Um, they had an awesome street fight between Akira Tozawa and the Brian Kendrick in the main event, which I thought was a really, really, really good match. The rest of the show, Cedric Alexander came back. They had a great interview between Austin Aries and, um, and Neville heading into Extreme Rules, the rematch, the submission match. I think they had uh, Rich Swan versus Arya Daivari, so it was a pretty solid show. Um, I won't talk about it. We probably will not. Have, well, we won't. We won't have time here today to talk about it. But it was a pretty good show, though, all things considered. And then NXT last night, um, you had Aleister Black taking on Kurt Hawkins in a fun squash. Same can be said for Drew McIntyre versus Wesley Blake. Um, the debut of the Velveteen Dream, the former Patrick Clark against Robert Anthony, a jobber. And then just a bunch of recap videos from TakeOver on Saturday, which we will talk about right now. So again, TakeOver Saturday emanating from Chicago, the All-State Arena on Saturday, May 20th. Two thumbs up show. Uh, Really, really enjoyed this event. Needless to say, every TakeOver, I mean, how many times have we fucking said this? Over the past three years since TakeOver, or rather just NXT Arrival, the inaugural live special for NXT back in February of 2014, Every single live special this promotion has done has ranged, you know, has ranged from good to, to great to amazing. I would put this again. I don't know if I would put it top five of all time. Um, I would put our evolution up there, Brooklyn one, Brooklyn two, Dallas, uh, maybe respect. I don't know if I would put this top five necessarily, but it's certainly in the upper echelon. I thought this was a just tremendous show with an awesome electric atmosphere in Chicago. The fans all night were great. A lot of awesome matches. We'll break it down right now. Kicking out the show, Roderick Strong taking on Eric Young and a pretty good match. I mean, I'm not, I've never really been the biggest Eric Young fan as a wrestler. Uh, I'm glad he's in NXT. I think the Sanity group is a, is a perfect role for him at the moment. But as a wrestler, he never had like the most, oh my God, like what an instant classic Eric Young had during his time in TNA. But he is a pretty competent wrestler inside the ring and I thought he had a great match here with, uh, with Roderick Strong. A lot better than I thought it could be. 
perfectly, you know, slotted as the opener to the show. The crowd was into this. Huge pop for Roderick Strong when he came out. I think those, obviously, those vignettes that have been airing for him on NXT TV as of late, uh, promoting his background, his family life, his, you know, uh, his upbringing and stuff like that before coming to WWE really, you know, turned people on to this guy. Really kind of, you know, who would have thought? I mean, obviously, no-brainer. You, you, you do these introductory video packages, you give some background, you shine some light on the upbringing of these guys and give us a reason to care about them. And wouldn't you know, people start to care about him and give him big reactions. So that was pretty uh, encouraging to see and hear, rather. But yeah, it was a good match. Roderick Strong won after taking out uh, Killian Dane and uh, who's the other guy? Alexander Wolf at ringside to begin the match. I don't think Nikki Cross was seen at ringside for this bout. Um, but yeah, it was a good match, strong wins, and uh, hopefully one step closer to clinching that NXT championship. And we'll talk about at the end who could be next in line uh, to face Bobby Roode for that belt in the future. After that, we had for the WWE United Kingdom Championship, Pete Dunne taking on Tyler Bate. Uh, just a phenomenal match. What more can be said about this match that has not been said already over the past seven days? Uh, this was a fucking instant classic. Really, one of, if not the best... WWE match of the year up to this point. Um, I thought these two guys put forth just an amazing effort. The pace was there. Again, the crowd was way into this. Just a lot of cool shit you don't ordinarily see from the competitors in WWE. Like, I never thought I would be giving a This Is Awesome chant to a fucking airplane spin from uh, from from Tyler Bate. That was a great spot. Pete Dunne sold it perfectly. Uh, Dunn's a fucking star. Tyler Bate, for only being 20 years old, is just an incredible athlete. So these guys worked just amazingly well together. Put together a really, 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 really good match. Just an awesome fucking match. And in the end, it's Pete Dunn emerging victorious as the new United Kingdom champion. So I'll be talking about this tomorrow, probably, on Hidden Remote. I'm in the process of working on a piece for them, talking about why Pete Dunn deserves to be on, not NXT necessarily, but... The fucking main roster right now. This guy is awesome. The guy is the perfect package. He's got the look, the mic skills. God knows he's a great wrestler. Um, He's really got everything it takes to be a star right now in the WWE. That being said, I I, I might as well talk about it now. Um, The immediate future of the United Kingdom Championship show. They did a one-off special last week, which I thought was really good. If you haven't already checked it out, please do so. It's about an hour and 40 minutes for only four matches, but... Every match gets some time. It aired last week on May 19th. It was a great special. Beyond that, I guess the immediate future of the show is still uncertain. Um, I read something today from the Wrestler Observer Newsletter, Dave Meltzer, saying that I guess there was a plan in place at one point to record the show or tape shows at least once a month over in the UK and other indie venues and shit like that, um, which would be pretty cool. Honestly, I think, I don't know if they do a whole month's worth of shows, I guess that'd be pretty cool, too. I've talked about it before. I really am not yearning for more content on the network. If it was along the lines of what this special was last Friday on the network, then I'm all for it. Um, But even then, even if it's great wrestling, then I'm not... I don't know. I just don't know about another show on the network. We already have fucking 205 Live. We have Raw every week, SmackDown. You got main event if you watch that. NXT... Um, so I'm not really too keen on the idea of doing a UK show on the network every week, but if it's at like on Fridays at three, I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, that's, I think the old time slot of superstars, if I'm not mistaken, but, uh, so it'd be kind of taking over what superstars once was, I guess 205 live kind of did that originally in terms of when they taped it and shit, they moved main event to Mondays, 205 live to after SmackDown, whatever, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm not, again, I'm excited, but I'm not excited. Like, I don't want more content. We talked about it time and time and time and time again about how WWE is oversaturating the market with wrestling right now. I mean, I'm a huge wrestling fan, obviously, then I wouldn't be doing this show, but I do not need, I mean, with already, with everything else they watch, just from a personal standpoint, from a selfish reason standpoint, I already watched TNA, Ring of Honor, Lucha, which is coming back next week, which I can't wait for, next Wednesday to be exact, so check it out if you haven't already seen the previous three seasons. I guess this is the uh, second half of the third season, Um, but anyway, I already watch way too much wrestling as it is, which is why I don't watch like the New Japan show and the indie stuff and whatever, Um, so I'd probably check it out because it is WWE, um, just to review it and shit, but... 
Then again, I really hope they don't, like, if they do do a show, I really hope they don't tone down the style. Like, they don't water them down as they have done with the Cruiserweights. Like, I think we were all hoping when they did the Cruiserweight Classic that we would see the same wrestling we saw in the CWC, on Raw, on 205 Live. Of course, it has been far from the case. They're having good matches, but they're having WWE-style matches. Like, it doesn't feel any different than anything we're already currently seeing on Raw or SmackDown. So why even bother having another show? You know what I mean? If they do the same thing with the UK guys, it's going to be a massive mistake. But if they kind of go away from the norm and record it overseas in the UK every once in a while, that would be pretty sweet. But getting back to my original point, Pete Dunne, um, having won the championship here, I really hope it leads to more appearances on NXT. Uh, the UK guys have kind of been a staple, like the mid-card, so to speak, of NXT in recent months. We've had Tyler Bate against Mandrew, so that was on the UK special. We had Tyler Bate against Jack Gallagher, which is a great match. Tyler Bate against Trent Seven. We had Pete Dunne versus Mandrews a couple months back as well. So I really, I really hope that if a show does not come to fruition in the immediate future for these UK guys that they become more of a staple on NXT going forward. They're all great competitors. They're all great wrestlers. Um, They have amazing matches. It's a different... Again, it feels different than anything else we're seeing in WWE right now. If they were to put them on Raw... Again, I'm saying put Pete Dunne on Raw, and who's to say that he won't be watered down to everyone else on the roster, where really no one feels special at the moment. I understand that. But the guy deserves it. I mean, he should not be appearing once every few months in NXT... Um, when the show for the UK guys is not really set in stone as of right now, I'd rather see him in a regular role on Raw, if not NXT. Um, the guy is great. Again, like I said earlier, he's got the perfect package in terms of looks. He's got mic skills, awesome wrestler. He's everything that you would want in a WWE star. The guy screams superstar. So I really hope we see more of him in the immediate future because I thought this match was, again, Simply phenomenal, Uh, no pun intended to AJ Styles, no disrespect intended there, but uh, these guys really put forth just an incredible effort here, and like I said earlier, we might have a new match of the year contender on our hands for 2017 in WWE with this amazing bout right here. After that, we had for the NXT Women's Championship, a triple threat match, Asuka defending against Ruby Riot and Nikki Cross. Pretty good match, not the greatest women's match I've ever seen in NXT's history, um, but it was still pretty good, Asuka, obviously retaining in the end, uh, pinning Ruby Riot, who had had Nikki Cross pinned, Asuka came in out of nowhere, knocked Ruby Riot's head off, retained the title by pinning her, uh, Ember Moon was seen above the arena, like kind of looming in the darkness, a la Sting back in the day in WCW, uh, so obviously they're setting... That you know, planting the seeds for that match. Hopefully, take over Brooklyn. I said it a couple weeks ago on Hidden Remote, but and I'm not the only one. But I think Ember Moon's injury was kind of a blessing in disguise. If she was a part of this match, she obviously would have lost. She wasn't going to win. Um, so I think it would be pretty cool if they built to her winning that championship one on one against Asuka in Brooklyn in a few months. It's really the best place to do the match. So I look forward to that. For the NXT Championship, Bobby Roode defending against Hideo Itami, Hideo Itami, excuse me, or either one works, I guess. A great match, a really, really great match. I thought both guys here played their roles remarkably well, especially Itami coming off the injury, uh, showing no signs of ring rust. The guy has always been a great wrestler, but he's never really had that one standout match. I mean, again, he's been hurt for, like, he was hurt for well over a year. I mean, I know he debuted three years ago. But he's really only been a part of NXT for two years just because, um, you know, one injury, the first injury took him out for over a year. Then the second injury took him out for over six months. So um, I'm glad that he's back in action. The guy's a great wrestler. It was not the right time to put the belt on him. At this point, I don't see them putting the championship on him. Um, A heel turn would be interesting. I know they aired a video on WWE.com immediately following the event of him Storming backstage, all angry, repping up the backstage area. Cassius Ono attempted to kind of console him, and then Tommy kind of pushed him away. So in a Tommy Ono feud, I'm all for it. I think that'd be pretty fucking sweet. Um, Ono's not doing anything right now. He wasn't even on the show. He was seen in the, in the in the crowd at one point, waving to the audience. Not a place you want to be if you're on NXT. If you're if you're a main roster guy like Sami Zayn or Kevin Owens, that's fine. But if you're an actual competitor in NXT and they're not doing anything with you, a la Cassius Ono, 
then that's not a good place to be. So hopefully they do do an Atami Ono feud. I think the matches could be great. NXT needs heels right now. I'll talk about the uh, Ciampa turn at the end. But they have Ciampa. They have Bobby Roode. Elias Sampson is gone. Not as if he was really a top-tier heel anyway in NXT. But they have Ciampa, Roode. They have Almas, who's kind of been like their designated jobber as of late. But I think Atami could be a real strong heel for NXT, especially with all the baby faces they have right now. From Roderick Strong to Alistair Black, Drew McIntyre. They have, uh, who's the other guy? Obviously Atami. Um, but they have Johnny Gargano coming up now. They have the, the UK guys, um, McIntyre, Ono. So they already have a whole plethora of baby faces. I think Atami would well benefit from turning heel at some point in the foreseeable future. And for Bobby Roode, what's next for him? Um, I would think the match with Drew McIntyre is the end game in Brooklyn in a couple of months. That seems to be me. That that to me seems to be the most logical route they could take with this, with uh, with this championship run, having been champion since January. Um, a Rude McIntyre match would be great. Rude and Strong, um, which they have yet to do one on one, would also make a ton of sense given a, you know Strong's recent road to you know the the NXT Championship, his recent pursuit of the title. Um, having beaten Eric Young on this show. He's actually probably in a better place to beat Rude for that belt than McIntyre is right now. Uh, McIntyre worked a match before the show that aired on NXT yesterday against Wesley Blake, Fun Squash. But McIntyre has yet to get his first real feud in NXT. And not to say he can't immediately go for the belt like Owens did a couple of years ago, so we've seen it before. But I think Roderick Strong... Um, has a better story in place, just because he's been working towards that, he's been winning these matches, um, I think him winning that belt in Brooklyn would be even better, but that's just me, so I guess we'll see, they have a couple different options, they could always put Black in that role as well, they have Uno, they, you know, I know they did Uno Rude a couple months ago, but they could always go back to that if they want, so what I'm loving about NXT right now, even before we get to the main event of the show, is that they have options, they have a lot of fresh feuds waiting for them, um, a lot of great guys, a lot of great men and women, really, and a lot of different ways they can go with many of their divisions heading into the summer. So I'm looking forward to seeing how a lot of these feuds and superstars pan out coming out of TakeOver. I know they're doing a taping tonight as I record this on uh, on Thursday, May 25th, so I guess we'll see where they go, and usually spoilers leak all over Twitter and the internet once um once things happen. So I guess we'll see what goes on if someone shows up. I'll talk about Adam Cole. Um, he was nowhere to be seen at TakeOver, conspicuous by his absence. I'll talk about that after the NXT review. But uh, yeah, anyway, bottom line, Rude, Atami, great match. We get to the main event, another great match, a ladder match for the NXT Tag Team titles. It was Authors of Pain defending against DIY Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. Again, great match. Really, really enjoyed this. Um, I'm, I just don't understand. I mean, I guess I kind of understand the criticism surrounding Authors of Pain, that they're not good. I don't know about you guys, but every single match I've seen them in for the past four or five months has been pretty damn good in terms of, you know, at the TakeOver specials. This match was great. The Triple Threat match was great in Orlando that I was there for. The San Antonio match DIY was also really, really good. I mean, granted, I mean, I I will say they're going to have great matches with great opponents. That is true. If they put them in the ring with fucking, you know, Riddick Moss and the other dude, uh, Tino Sabatelli, it might not be as good of a match. But still, these guys have come a long way in their short one-year, you know, run in NXT, having debuted almost exactly a year ago, a takeover at the end, going on to a beat, going on to beat American Alpha, TM61, The Revival, DIY, and they're still undefeated in standard two-on-two tag team action. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how these guys kind of continue to come into their own in the months ahead. Uh, they're great champions. I think they've been a great, they've had a strong reign as champions. I really thought they would lose here, but I like what they did instead. Because if DIY won the belts back here, aside from another match with, author, with Authors of Pain, which we did not need to see, because this was like, I think the third or fourth match these two teams have had in, you know, this year, uh, what really could they have done? You know, DIY against Riddick Moss and Tino Sabatelli, them against Heavy Machinery. I think Authors of Pain versus Heavy Machinery is a better end game, is a better um, feud for down the line for Brooklyn than um, the alternatives that I just mentioned. So hopefully, you know, Heavy Machinery is in that spot at some point. But again, going back to this match, really, really well-worked ladder match. I feel like I've seen a million ladder matches this year from uh, from TLC back in December to WrestleMania 
to Supercard of Honor, uh, Ring of Honor show over WrestleMania weekend to this match. Um, so which I'm glad Matt Hardy did not choose a ladder match for Extreme Rules. We just literally just saw a ladder match at WrestleMania, so I'm glad we didn't go back to that so soon uh, when he was choosing the stipulation for the Extreme Rules rematch between him and Matt, uh, him and Jeff against Cesaro and Sheamus at Extreme Rules. But anyway, we'll get to that in the Raw review. Um, yeah, really well-worked ladder match here. Authors of Pain having a great showing, DIY as well. In the end, a lot of great spots too, um, like... You had Paul Ellering taking a super kick. The double dives off the top of the ladders to Authors of Pain to the side. Um, breaking the the ta- or the ladders, rather, was an awesome spot. The um, One of the Authors of Pain, I forgot who it was, going through a ladder in the turnbuckle was great. Um, the finish, I thought, was awesome, too. Kind of a letdown. I mean, I think a lot of people were really hoping DIY would win back the belts. But they made up for it with the subsequent turn from Ciampa on Gargano. Uh, a shocking heel turn, but the way they did it was even better. I kind of had a feeling that when they were standing in the ring and they were getting the uh, kind of the uh, standing ovation from the Chicago crowd that he would turn on them there, but they waited. They show a couple of replays. They walk to the uh, to the stage. They show the little you know logo in the corner ready to go off the air, and then chop out and then returns on Gargano. So it's kind of like shades of when Owens turned on Sami Zayn back in the day, back two, three years ago. Uh, really, really well done in that respect. People booing Chomp out of the building. And the great part about this is that he was legitimately booed. Like, Chompa and Gargano are such a beloved tag team that people hated so much to see them break up. Like, it was when Owens turned on Jericho a couple months ago in the Festival of Friendship. Like, he got booed out of the building because people did legitimately did not want to see them break up. This was the same exact thing. And that's when you know you have really captured the art of a true betrayal. Um, like nowadays with most splits in, of tag teams and shit, you know, people will cheer the heel or they won't even care at all. A la when, you know, Goldust turned on R-Truth a couple of months ago. Like no one gave a shit. Uh, or not a couple of weeks ago, rather. Or even a week ago, I think it was. It feels like forever ago, but it was only a week ago. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I thought this was perfect. Really, really perfect. The crowd booed the fuck out of Ciampa. Um, he beat the hell out of Gargano doing the like a Celtic cross-esque maneuver through the table at ringside, the commentary table, or off the commentary table through another table next to that table. Um, again, awesome spot. And I thought this was great. Um, I think a Gargano-Champa feud is going to be fucking fire heading into the summer. I think a one-on-one match between those two at Brooklyn is going to be great too. And they have a lot of story to go off of. You know, knowing NXT, they'll probably touch upon it. But there's so much story here. Like, there was one spot in this match, in the ladder match, where Gargano saved Ciampa for being hit in the head of the ladder. That was vicious. That was a great storytelling spot. And then they went back to it by having Ciampa turn on Gargano here. And then you go back to, you know, when Gargano... I think it was... Maybe Ciampa got pinned for the tag titles. I don't remember. But there were several points. I think I think it was Gargano who got pinned first. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> who got pinned back in Brooklyn when they lost the NXT Tag Team title match the first time against Revival. I'm pretty sure it was Gargano who tapped out. And um, then they had their CWC match, and Gargano beat Ciampa, and they had that little moment in the ring where they were kind of hugging each other, kind of hugging it out, embracing each other. So there was a lot of history to play off of here. They came in NXT together well over two years ago, and were a tag team almost right off the bat in the uh, Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the feud comes. It, you know it's going to be great, but I think the mo- the the part that I'm looking more forward to the most, other than the match of, itself, of course, is how they kind of play off their history and with the video packages, what they include and stuff like that. Um, I think there's a lot to work with there. And I think, again, as I said earlier, turning Ciampa heel is probably the best thing they could have done. They've done everything they could do as a tag team in NXT. And aside from being called up to the main roster, which isn't really necessary right now, um, SmackDown, I know they just did Usos and Brazongo, which was better than expected, but they have Usos on SmackDown, they have American Alpha and New Day on SmackDown, I think they're okay. Raw's in the same boat, they have the Hardy Boys, the Revival will be back soon, they have the Club, uh, Enzo and Cass, uh, Sheamus and Cesaro. They're in a decent place right now, I don't think DIY is needed, you know, like, nece- like, oh, we need DIY in the main roster right now, I think it'd be cool, but they're not exactly needed right now on either Raw or SmackDown, so, 
if they weren't going to be called up, then you might as well break them up and do a feud between the two and make a new star out of both guys. I mean, they were already stars, but make new two new single stars out of both Ciampa and Gargano going into the summer. Uh, Ciampa especially. Gargano is going to flourish regardless. Ciampa is a natural heel. If you've seen his indie work and his psycho killer stuff, you know what people chant at him during his matches. Um... With Ciampa, they can make a real new top heel out of him going forward. Like I said, they only really have Rude, Almas, and um, that's really about it. Unless they turn a Tommy, which they might, and I hope they do. Um, but now they have a new top heel other than Rude uh, in Ciampa. So I thought that was great, and it was also cool to see the NXT Tag Team title showcased in the main event of a TakeOver for the first time ever, which has not really been mentioned at all. Um, but yeah, again, overall, really, really, really strong show. I thoroughly enjoyed TakeOver. I thought every match was great. Um, some were better than others. If I had to rank them, obviously, number one, Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate for the UK title. Two, probably the main event, ladder match, then Rude and Natami, then Strong and Young, then the women's match. But even the women's match was pretty good. So if your worst match, quote-unquote, is, you know, is, is pretty good, then you're in pretty decent shape. So I thought this was a strong show. And I look forward to what's next. Um, we'll see Ciampa and Gargano furthering their feed, I'm sure, in the next couple of weeks. We'll have Rude's next challenger, you know, revealed tonight at the tapings. I don't read the spoilers. I really just kind of follow my timeline on Twitter and see what people are posting about it. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go from here with a lot of these feuds heading into Brooklyn, which I don't think I'll be able to go to this year, unfortunately, um, as they have done for the past two years. But... It should be, it is shaping up to be quite a hell of a show, to, you know, to say the least. We'll go from there to uh, Backlash on Sunday, or even before that, I'll talk about this briefly, as it kind of relates to NXT. I was going to talk about it last week on the show, but uh, we didn't have time with uh, Tommy and I breaking down Backlash and Raw and all that other good stuff. But Adam Cole, an update on uh, Adam Cole, baby, coming off his Ring of Honor departure. He wrestled his final Ring of Honor televised match at the War of the Worlds pay-per-view against uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Awesome match. The Bullet Club ousted him from the group immediately afterward, uh, which I thought was just a great, awesome angle. The crowd ate it up. Marty Skrull replacing him instead. Skrull, the villain, is just, again, a terrific talent. That's another guy who's going to go far. Not only in Ring of Honor, I could definitely see him being in WWE at some point. He fits what they want in their stars to a T. And they need more English stars. Uh, Barrett never really panned out. Regal was never a world champion. Uh, Dunn can be that guy as well, obviously, but I think Skrull's another UK-based talent that can be just huge for them. So we'll see where he goes. But anyway, in regards to Adam Cole, um, so he has officially wrapped up his, his dates with Ring of Honor. From what I've heard, obviously, a lot of people are banking on him showing up at TakeOver on Saturday. Wasn't meant to be. He did not show up. Um, but he is working some more indie, date, indie dates in the next couple of weeks. I know tomorrow he's going to Northeast Wrestling, which is awesome for a match against Cody Rhodes, the current NEW champion, which is really, really cool. So I can't go to that show, but it seems like it's going to be awesome, though. Um, after that, I think he's working maybe a PWG show, PWG, and then one other show, like the Super Indie Tournament or whatever. Um, in mid-June. But beyond that, from what I've heard, again, nothing set in stone here, but he's not taking any more indie dates beyond a certain point. So um, that being said, I feel like he is WWE bound at some point beyond mid-June. Hell, we could even see him show up in Brooklyn. I think Bobby Roode was one of those guys. I mean, he was in a different boat. He showed up at TakeOver Dallas in the crowd, but we didn't see him on NXT TV for like literally months. He had a one-off appearance at TakeOver The End, but beyond that, he didn't. He wasn't seen in NXT until like at least early August. Uh, so with Cole, it's a little different because we have yet to see him appear in NXT. So nothing is for certain in terms of him coming in. Um, but I think he is coming in. I, I know he's currently weighing his options between Impact Wrestling, WWE. I don't think he's going to TNA. He even flat out told Stone Cold Steve Austin on his podcast a couple of weeks ago that if he had the choice, Impact is great. But everyone wants to be in uh, WWE, specifically NXT. Obviously, he would be NXT bound, I would believe. I mean, he could be in the main roster tomorrow and thrive. Um, but I think he would be a great heel for NXT at the moment with all the surplus of baby faces we have right now. So, again, I guess we'll see how it pans out in the months ahead. I think he can be WWE bound by the summer, I would say, by at least July. 
Um, I think there was an issue there with WWE tampering. They were accused of tampering with Ring of Honor contracts while they were still with Ring of Honor, like the contracts of Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, Donovan Dijak, Leo Rush, and Adam Cole. Uh, five guys. Is that five guys? Five or six guys. Cole, Rush, Fish, um, O'Reilly, Dijak. Yeah, that's five guys. Uh, not the restaurant, which is great, by the way, but... Anyway, so, yeah, I think they were accused of tampering with their ROH contracts, so that's why they have yet to, any of them have yet to sign on WWE, but they all could be NXT bound at some point in the next couple of months. I think all five guys would be great for NXT. O'Reilly and Fish more so together than separate, um, but them as a tag team would be great. Dijak on his own is just perfect for WWE, there's no question about that. Rush is an awesome athlete, and Cole's a fucking star. So, again, I think all five guys could be um, awesome assets to NXT in the foreseeable future, but I think it's all a matter of when they're coming in and not if. But as far as Adam Cole goes, keep an eye out for him. He may not have showed up at TakeOver, shown up at TakeOver on Saturday, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's not coming to NXT. Give it time. Um, it might be July. It might be June, July, August, whatever, but... Again, as I said earlier, it's really only inevitable before we see him show up in NXT. From there, we're going to Backlash on Sunday, um, on May 21st, 2017, emanating from, the again, the All-State Arena in Chicago. Uh, a pretty good show. I would say the weakest of all the SmackDown live shows, all the exclusive events, exclu- or the, rather the pay-per-views exclusive to the Blue brand since the uh, dawn of the brand split last year. But it was still a pretty good show. Um, some really good matches here. Kickoff show, Ty Dillinger beating Aiden English. Pretty whatever match. They got some time, but beyond that, it was pretty, you know, a pretty basic bout. Opening match on the actual show, Shinsuke Nakamura beating Dolph Ziggler. A lot of mixed reviews from people from what I've seen on Nakamura's debut. Um, with people saying that he should not have gone 50-50 with Ziggler, that he wasn't portrayed as a star. I'm not exactly sure about that. The Chicago crowd really gave him the star treatment. He didn't fucking lose. Let's let's say that much, obviously. Um, he won. But I think they were going more for a good match than they were for him dominating Ziggler. Like, I didn't watch the show with my girlfriend on Sunday, um, but she watched it anyway. I watched it on Monday with Jason. So anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that um, coming into this match, my girlfriend Haley, who actually appeared in Hashtag Ask last week, if you want to check it out on the YouTube channel, she had yet to see Nakamura in action. Um, she she doesn't watch NXT really at all, so she didn't know how he would like how good of a wrestler he was. I tried to assure her obviously that he was an amazing wrestler, but she didn't really know until seeing this match, and she was impressed by with by with you know with what she saw um, by what she saw in this match. So again, maybe she would have been impressed anyway if it was like a six minute match with Nakamura quickly beating Ziggler. Um, in kind of decisive fashion, but they were going more, not even 50-50, again, Ziggler really got in more offense in Nakamura than I thought he would, but I thought it was a really good match, though. I thought they worked a, a great match here, Nakamura winning, obviously, so I didn't really have too big of a problem with it, not that people are nitpicking, and I could see where people are, or rather were frustrated with Nakamura not being more dominant over Ziggler, but it wasn't the weakest debut of all time. It was a really good match. He won. He was over as fuck in Chicago. It's not like he came out to crickets, people. So it could have been far worse. But yeah, I thought this was a good opening match. Uh, Nakamura could have been more dominant or decisive in his victory, sure. But it's not like he won with a roll-up or anything dumb like that. It was a good match, and that's what they were going for, and I thought they succeeded in that respect. After that, for the SmackDown Tag Team titles... The Usos retaining their titles against uh, Brazongo. And a pretty fun match. Again, a lot more fun of a match than I thought it would be. Considering Brazongo have really been a comedy act for the better part of their run over the past year. Um, but I thought this was a really well-worked match. Brazongo having a good showing in defeat. They started out at the comedy spots. and But the people were into it, though. The grandma shit and whatever else. The people were into it. Um, and then they kind of went in the next gear in the final few minutes. You know, really showing what they were capable of in the ring, which was also very assuring to see. Um, but that being said, I thought this was a fun match overall. I thought Brazongo had found a good combination, a good mix of being great wrestlers, but also engaging the audience with their comedy spots. So again, for that alone, I thought this match was really, really fun. I really enjoyed this. 
Um, they came close on a few occasions to capturing the titles. In the end, they could not have thought the finish was fantastic. Fondango hitting the, the last dance or whatever it's called, the leg drop off the top rope. And then immediately out of nowhere, the other Uso, who was not being hit with the last dance by Fondango, hit Fondango with the uh, with the Uso splash off the other turnbuckle. So again, I thought that was great. And the Usos, in the end, still your SmackDown Tag Team Champions. And they had a rematch on SmackDown, which I'll talk about momentarily. But yeah, I thought this was a really fun match. Way better than I thought it would be. Hopefully this is not the end of Brazongo as challengers. Although I fear that it will be just because the New Day is on their way back. They were on Talking Smack on Tuesday. It looks like they are next in line for a tag team title shot. Um, but still, Brazongo is really, really good. Um, both as wrestlers, and they've gotten to a point where they're over as babyfaces with the audience. And it's not a Chicago thing either. I forgot where they were on Tuesday, but the crowd is really into them on Tuesday too. Um, they were popping for the near falls. There was some good drama there. You actually, you actually thought for a moment they would win the belts. So, um, yeah, I thought it was great. So yeah, really, really fun match here. After that, we had Sami Zayn taking on Baron Corbin in another good match, another entertaining affair. Um, Zayn and Corbin having good showings. GBO really laid it on thick afterwards how much, how, you know, how dominant Corbin was in this match, but he really wasn't. It was very evenly matched. Um, and then Corbin lost clean, like with Zayn's finisher, which was kind of weird. Um, if anything, I would have had Zayn win via roll-up. Again, I hate the roll-ups and the small packages and all that other shit. But still, I thought it was good. I thought it was a good win for Zayn. I think Zayn needed the victory more than Corbin did. But I think Corbin needs some victories himself. He lost to WrestleMania. He's been losing recently on SmackDown to guys like Orton and now Zayn clean. Uh, he lost in like 20 seconds on Tuesday, which I might as well talk about now. So they had the rematch on SmackDown on Tuesday. And then immediately after, Corbin just goes berserk and then attacks Corbin all around ringside, which I thought was great. Um, really made Corbin look like a monster, really bringing back that dominant side of him that we haven't seen in quite some time. Just beating the living shit out of Zayn. And you, obviously, you know, Zayn is going to sell this like a million bucks, and he did. Uh, the crowd was really sympathetic towards Zayn. They had a stretcher mat on, on, obviously, on a stretcher. Stretcher mat of the arena. And then Corbin standing tall. So despite taking two losses, is still the better man in this feud. I assume it continues. Um, but I thought it was a great match. I thought this was a good match. And they furthered the feud well on Tuesday when they had Corbin viciously attack Zayn. Now that begs the question. Is Zayn being taken out of the Money in the Bank ladder match at the pay-per-view? And if so, who replaces him? Now, there's a couple different options here, and I'll throw out a few, but there's one in particular I think that would be fucking perfect. So, first of all, I don't think they are replacing him. They have a little less than a month to go until Money in the Bank. Three SmackDowns to go. It's less than a month away. Or just about a month away. So I don't think Zayn, if he was going to be taken out, they would probably take him out closer to the pay-per-view, or even on the go-home show, and then do the surprise on, you know, at the pay-per-view itself, which they could always do still, but I don't think they will. I hope Zayn is in it, just because he's a great athlete. I don't think he would win, but he has a pretty good chance. Uh, he's up there with Corbin in terms of whether he could win it or not. Uh, there's a really good chance he could win it on, you know, at the, at the Money to Make pay-per-view. But I was thinking about potential replacements for Zayn. Obviously, Rusev comes to mind. Um, he's ready to come back. And I know they did the whole angle with him where he was coming to confront Shane McMahon for a title shot. And he never did. He wasn't. He didn't appear on SmackDown two weeks ago. He didn't show up this week. So I don't know what's going on with uh, with Rusev right now. I guess plans changed. I think they were going to do Orton Rusev money in the bank, but they changed their mind and now they're not. And now obviously Mahal's champion at, obviously, champ, you know, Mahal won the belt on Sunday. So, I guess they could put Rusev in Money in the Bank if they wanted to. He could come out and confront Sheen or whoever for a title shot, and then they could say, you haven't earned it, you gotta enter Money in the Bank, and he could win. Who knows, he could win. Um, but it could be Rusev, it could be Mike Bennett. We've heard quite a bit of, about Mike Bennett recently in terms of him also being WWE bound. From what I've heard, he's he should be imminent. His debut is imminent, but... I guess creative change plan, uh, creative plans changed on uh, on SmackDown. I don't know where he would have fit in, but I think he was supposed to debut a while ago. Plans changed, so he didn't. He wasn't brought in at that point, but he should be in at some point, really, really soon. Maybe as soon as after Money in the Bank. Who knows? But if it's not Rusev and it's not Mike Bennett, why not Shelton Benjamin? You know, we haven't seen Benjamin since the summer. We, we haven't really technically seen Benjamin at all. But they did air a video package for him, a vignette 
promoting his return, and then they stopped. They just stopped acknowledging uh, acknowledging the guy um, because he got hurt. And he had to go in for surgery. He was cleared over WrestleMania weekend, bringing up a lot of questions that he would re-debut on SmackDown after WrestleMania and the honor of the John Memorial Battle Royal. Obviously, neither of those things happened, but... And it could be one of those things like with the Jiri where they were going to bring him back, they were excited to bring him back, but then they saw, hey, he's kind of getting older, he's a bit more injury prone, maybe not the best idea, which is why Tajiri was cut, which sucks. But uh, with Benjamin, it could be the same way. Um, I hope not, though. I think Benjamin can still go, he can still have great matches. He's only 40, it's not like he's like 50 or something. So I think he could still go in the ring, and I think it'd be a mistake if they did not bring him back. Benjamin did say that um, he was not currently under contract to the company, but that was over WrestleMania weekend over a month and a half ago. So something might have changed. And really, if there's any place to bring him back, it would be at the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. We've talked about it God knows how many times over the years. People have always hoped, oh, if there's any surprise entry in this year's Money in the Bank ladder match, I really hope it's Benjamin. And now it's likelier than ever. Just because he was on decent terms from what we know at the company a year ago, they didn't bring him in because he got hurt, but now that he's cleared... There really isn't a better place for him to come back than in this match. And Zayn was a babyface. Benjamin would be a babyface. He was coming in as, as a babyface, replacing Zayn. It makes sense. They can put him in a feud with Corbin or uh, over, you know, with Owens over the U.S. title if they want after the AJ Styles feud wraps up. They got options. So I really do think Benjamin should not be counted out here. They could throw him in at the last. But even if Zayn's a part of it, they can throw they can throw him in there if they want to. I think last year they did seven guys. I'm not sure. I think they did seven guys last year in Money in the Bank. Then maybe maybe they did six. I think it was six. Um, but if they wanted to do seven with uh, with Benjamin and Zayn in there, I think that'd be great. I think Benjamin, he should be back on the SmackDown brand. And really, again, if there's any time to bring him back, it would be now in time for the match. He really helped make famous the Money in the Bank ladder match. So hopefully that's the case. But anyway, going back to Backlash here, I talked about Owens and Styles briefly. Uh, they had a great match at Backlash for the United for the United States Championship. Really, uh, a, a nice back and forth ba- uh, matchup between these two. And it's only the first of many matches I'm sure they'll have in the months ahead over the U.S. title. So they went all out. They had the best match in the show, unsurprisingly. But even though they kind of held back a bit, it was still a great match. And I thought Owens uh, looked good here. Styles looked good here. I thought the finish was really well done with Styles. You know, in his injured knee in, in kayfabe, obviously. Owens targeting that knee that he targeted on the SmackDown before the pay-per-view. So, that was a nice storytelling little tidbit there. And then they wor- he worked over the knee throughout the match. And then in the end, uh, he put Styles on the table. Styles' knee got, uh, you know, trapped. He got, you know, locked up in uh, in the commentary table through one of the uh, holes where the TV goes. Through the, where the TVs go. And then uh, Styles couldn't make the 10 count. So Owens won via count out. He retained the title. Owens is, or uh, rather, Styles is protected in defeat. Really good match, and I had no problem with this at all. And then uh, Styles carried out by officials afterwards. So obviously, his pursuit of the United States Championship is not yet done. I'm sure we'll see the feud continue in the weeks and months ahead. They might be doing a rematch on the go home show before the pay per view, which would make which would make sense. But beyond that. Um, you know, I think they could still continue the feud going into Battleground, maybe even SummerSlam. I want to see Styles Orton for the title, but I guess it's really what they want to do. But, uh, yeah, no, I thought this was a great match. And like I said, the best bout in the entire show. After that, we had Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. A filler match. Really, not much more can be said about this than really, I, I don't really know what to say about it. It was not a good match. The crowd is fucking bored for it. And, um, I can't blame them. I mean, there was really no storyline support to this feud of sorts, um, Eric Rowan beat Harper on SmackDown clean, Rowan, for whatever reason, asked for a rematch and Talking Smack the following Tuesday, and then we have this match, and then Harper won clean, and Harper is a great athlete, but they're really wasting him right now, they're not doing anything with this guy, and it's just a shame, it's really just a shame, uh, they should be, they should be doing a lot more with him than they are currently, and the crowd has gotten to the point where they don't care, because they just see him as just another guy, which is fucking sucks because he was riding this wave of momentum before WrestleMania. It went nowhere, and now he's back to doing nothing, uh, which really sucks. So again, not a good match. The crowd didn't care, um, but it was a nice, I guess it was a nice way to kind of bring the crowd down before the main event. So speaking of the main event, Jinder Mahal contending for the WWE Championship against Randy Orton. A good match? Not as good as some people. I didn't think it was as good anyway. Some people made it out to be. The boring, really, to me, 
bored me to fucking tears. Uh, I, I figured that would be the case with Mahal and Orton. I was very surprised the crowd didn't shit on this match. I'm glad they didn't. But I was very surprised they didn't poop all over it. I thought the beginning was good. And I thought the ending was good. The middle was really, really boring. Uh, for me, anyway. For a championship match on pay-per-view in the main event. But I thought the beginning with Orton really punching Mahal out of nowhere before the bell could even ring was great. The finish with uh, the Singh brothers taking a f- hell of a beating at the hands of Orton. I thought was great, too. A great visual. And then in the end, Jinder Mahal... Shocking in the world by becoming the new WWE champion. So, good for him, I guess. I mean, I'm still not sold on him as champion. Um, he cut the he had his first promo as champion on Tuesday's SmackDown. The over-the-top celebration, all that other shit, I thought was great. His promo, though, really left a lot to be desired. The promo he cut on this show at Backlash, I thought was pretty good. But it still was not, you know, on the level of what it should be considering he's WWE champion. Um, so, yeah, that being said, I don't know you know, where they're going with him as champion. I don't think it's going to last long. He could drop the belt right back to Orton as soon as uh, Money in the Bank, considering they're in Orton's hometown for that show. But, um, again, a-, a good match. I'm glad they're trying something new. Um, I just can't buy into Mahal yet anyway as WWE champion. He looks the part, um, but just in the ring, he does nothing for me. And as a character, I mean, as a character, he's getting better, but his mic skills are what really just don't do anything for me at all. He's a very average performer. Very average. Um, just He just does not do much for me. I guess you could say the same about Corbin, but I don't know. He's just got a way better presence about him than Mahal does. And his mic skills have gotten better. He's not the greatest wrestler, but I don't know. I could see Corbin as champion before I could see Mahal as champion. And it's not one of those things where people were saying where, oh my god, why are you complaining about a jobber being champion when, when uh, Bray Wyatt was a jobber too? Listen, people. Fucking Bray Wyatt was a star three years ago. Mahal has never been a star before recently. Never. Never been a star. I mean, it's not that they can't turn a jobber into a world champion. Everyone was a fucking jobber. Triple H was a jobber before he became a 14-time world champion. That's not the problem. What the problem is is that this guy was a fucking loser a month ago. Losing to Mojo Raleigh on a random episode of SmackDown. Like, he was a fucking loser even then. So why should I care about him as champion? I know they've really done a good job of building him up. Beating Sami Zayn, beating AJ Styles, you know, beating Randy Orton on Sunday. But still, I mean, I'm shocked that they're just... I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just not a big fan of how they handled this so far with Mahal. I mean, so far they've done a good job of building him up, but... Just making him a legitimate threat, or trying to make him a legit threat out of nowhere to the title. Just poor consistency, poor writing. Um, they should have seen this coming, or just not done it at all, because just him as champion is just very out of left field. Um, in terms of how they built him up in the whole, oh, you boo me because my skin color is such fucking 80s bullshit. It's like, we're going to boo you because you're Indian? Like, that's such, that's such an old mindset. Like, an old, forgotten tired trope in wrestling it's like just move on from that just make him run and you know just i don't know just have him going all in on the fans and just people can boo him but don't don't have the reason be that he's fucking because of his skin color that's so terrible like that's awful so i guess we'll see where they go with him as champion but right now i'm not still sold but maybe they'll do something in the weeks ahead to change my mind i said that three weeks ago but i'm still waiting for them to change my mind on gina mahal as, as wwe champion again I give them credit for trying something new, um, but just gender as champion with how average his matches are and how just mediocre his mic skills are just does nothing for me as champion at this moment. But again, I commend them for trying something new. So we try to stay positive here in WrestleRant Radio. I will say on the bright side, at least they have something of a new star in Jinder Mahal. So we'll see where it goes. In the time we have left, let me see what the time here is. About oh, 47, 48 minutes in. So I'll talk briefly about Raw from Monday and maybe about SmackDown. I kind of talked a lot about SmackDown in my Raw and my uh, Backlash review. But for Raw on Monday, uh, Bray Wyatt kicking out the show, talking about his, you know, why he should win the six pack ch- or the five way challenge, um, the five way matchup at Extreme Rules. They talked about facing Brock Lesnar. I thought this was one of Bray Wyatt's, honestly, one of his better promos in recent memory. Like he talks a lot. Um, about doing this and that and all the hocus pocus bullshit and it never fucking goes anywhere but uh, I thought this was good though I thought this was a good use of Bray Wyatt 
Um, hyping up a potential match with Brock Lesnar, which almost came to fruition at WrestleMania that last year. I'm glad it didn't. The Ambrose match wasn't much better, but Wyatt and Lesnar would have been a fucking bore, I think. At least where, where, Bryant, where Wyatt was on the card at that point. He was a loser. The guy was a loser. Who would have who would have fucking cared about him getting beaten in five minutes by Brock Lesnar? I would not have done anything for anyone. So I'm glad they didn't do it. But they could be doing it at some point later on this year, apparently, according to the uh, Observer Newsletter. Wyatt and Lesnar could be a real good championship match down the road if they keep Wyatt looking strong. So anyway, his delivery is always great. It's just the content of his promos where he loses me some, you know, from time to time. But this was good, I thought. Roman Reigns interrupts, leading into Roman and Bray Wyatt. Just goes all the four minutes. Uh, they cut it short to lead to a tag team match later on after Samoa Joe and Seth Rollins got involved, leading to that tag team match later on in the night. Kira Tozawa being Aria Daivari. Quick, uh, quick squash to build up the, uh, you know, the, to hype the street fight for the next night on 205 Live between Tozawa and Kendrick. After that, we had the in-ring debut of Elias Sampson, the drifter. It's not Sampson anymore, by the way. It's Samson. Just no no P in there, apparently, anymore. Just S-A-M-S-O-N. So it's Elias Samson, which, why even bother changing it? I have no idea. But anyway, Elias Samson, uh, Samson, Samson, I guess, I'm going to go crazy thinking about that, beating the Intercontinental Champion Dean Ambrose by disqualification, but I thought this was a good match, a great way to debut Samson, I'm actually surprised in how well they've used him so far, I was thinking before Raw this week, like, wow, they have yet to really do anything with Samson, um, in terms of wrestling, and he's just kind of shown up in random backstage segments and shit, um, but no, they finally put him in the ring against Ambrose on Monday, he picked up the victory, and he wasn't an afterthought either, I thought it was a good tie-in, to the uh, Ambrose Miz match at Extreme Rules, where Miz, or rather Ambrose, gets himself DQ'd and he loses the title. Um, but no, I thought Miz getting involved, attacking Elias, you know, helped, you know, give Elias a victory, give the Drifter a victory. And then um, after Ambrose attempted to attack Miz, the Drifter attacked Ambrose, and he was the last one standing. So again, he had a good showing here, was not completely overlooked. I don't know how far he's going to go, um, but the brooding, mysterious promo that he cut, or, you know, just the persona, the aura he's had since arriving on Raw has been actually pretty good. It's weird that it's the opposite from NXT. Very, very, very rarely does that happen, if ever, where you're used better on the main roster than you are in NXT. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I thought this was good. Paul Heyman interrupting Finn Balor up next, uh, praising Balor for all of his accomplishments and blah, blah, blah. And then after that, you had uh, Anderson come out for a match against Balor. Really, really good match. Balor won. Probably the best Balor has looked since coming back uh, last month. He's really not been doing much of note. They were going to start the Wyatt feud, but of course, Strowman getting hurt through those plans you know, into disarray. Um, but even before that, he really wasn't doing anything, obviously, because they were waiting for Wyatt to be free of Orton to do that feud. Um, but I thought Balor looked good here. He had a great promo. The crowd loved him. Had a, re- had a really good match with Anderson. Um, just It blows my mind to see two of the original members of Bullet Club having a match on Raw. Like, that's crazy to think about. Speaking of which, could it be only a matter of time before we see Balor and Anderson and, and Gallows forming this long-rumored Balor Club? I think it really could be sooner rather than later, to be quite honest with you, just because, you know, Balor... I mean, I assume he's winning the five-way. That's my prediction. Either him or Rollins, but I think Balor and... We've seen Rollins and Lesnar before. Balor and Lesnar we've never seen before. I'm going to go with Balor winning the, the five-way on uh, at Extreme Rules. But still, uh, those guys could have a really, really good match, I think. Um, they could have great chemistry. But yeah, beyond that, I think a Balor-Anderson-Gallows group, official group on Raw would be awesome. Balor's been teasing it forever. So just the fact he tweeted about it means nothing. Because they teased it a fucking year and a half ago and it meant nothing. It didn't lead anywhere. Uh, Balor's a tease on Twitter. But, um... No, I think beyond the Lesnar match, I think a Balor, Anderson, and Gallows group would be great. You know, the club, or rather, Anderson and Gallows aren't really doing anything right now. Um, they just wrapped up their rivalry with Enzo and Cass. So they're just kind of just, you know, treading water at the moment. Um, but beyond the Lesnar match, I think a Balor group with Anderson and Gallows could be the best thing for them. And I think now is the time to pull the trigger on that. Again, maybe not like next week. Um, but after that, maybe they could say like Anderson and Gallows could say after he loses to Lesnar that, Hey, you've lost your touch. You need some new friends, you know, too sweet, blah, blah, blah. And they form the group. I think that'd be a great way to, uh, 
I don't know if you turn Balor, but you can make them a tweener group. You could turn uh, Anderson and Gallows' face in that case if you want to. I think it would work better as a heel group, but either way, I think that'd be a great idea. I mean, it's nothing new. People have been talking about this for over a year now. And maybe you get Heyman involved too. I don't know. I think he- I don't know. Just something about the Heyman and Balor confrontation just really piqued my interest for some reason. I just saw a lot of potential there. I'm sure I was planting the seeds for that Heyman and Balor, you know, for the for the Balor and Lesnar match at Great Balls of Fire. Still a terrible name, by the way. But I don't know. I think a Balor and Heyman pairing after maybe Lesnar's gone or maybe Heyman t- uh, turns on Lesnar. I don't know. Just something about a Balor Heyman feud, or even more so a pairing, intrigues me quite a bit. So we'll see where they go. Keep an eye out for Heyman Balor. Gallows and Anderson. I don't know, just something about those four guys having some sort of interaction on this show in this one segment really just piqued my interest for some reason. There just something felt right about that. So hopefully we see those guys come together at some point in the near future. After that, we had Sasha Banks and Alicia Fox for the third straight week. Sasha getting her win back. Alicia Fox attacking her afterwards. Uh, I just, I don't care. I know they're trying to keep Sasha busy. Banks busy before Bailey gets freed up to feed for the Raw Women's Championship with Sasha, which makes sense. I get that, but um, I don't know. Just Sasha and Alicia, the matches are way too brave to be anything of note. No one fucking cares about Alicia Fox. If they had Alicia beat Sasha at least two weeks in a row, she might be more of a threat. But to have her lose and then win and then lose again, the 50-50 booking does no one any favors. That said, I'm sure this is leading to a mixed tag team match between um, Sasha and probably Noam Dara. It could be Cedric Alexander, who, like I said earlier, just came back on 205 Live on Tuesday. Um, but it'll probably be Banks and Dar. Not Dar. Did I say Noam Dar? I meant Rich Swan. My bad. Um, it'll be Banks and Swan versus uh, Fox and Noam Dar. Kalisto and Cruz having a match. It was really just kind of that, just having a match. It was really just a match. Um, Kalisto won. There was a lot of mystery as to whether Cruz was the one who attacked the uh, to attacked uh, Enzo Amore backstage. I feel it would be too obvious. They could go all the way with the heel turn for Apollo and reveal him as the one who attacked Enzo Amore. But I have a better feeling about it being the Revival. Um, so we'll see where they go. But I think the Revival is due back any day. Now, they did show up apparently in a promo backstage when Sasha was cutting a promo. The Revival just were shown in the background walking through like a set of doors or something. Um, but yeah, I, I, I assume we will be seeing uh, a Revival Enzo and Cass feed at some point in the next couple weeks, which would be great. Great to have the Revival back on Raw, if they are indeed back at some point in the next few weeks. Um, after that, Matt Hardy and Sheamus having a pretty good match, a stipulation, with the winner choosing the stipulation for the Extreme Rules rematch between the Hardy Boys and Cesaro and Sheamus at the pay-per-view for the Raw Tag Team titles. Again, good match. Matt Hardy won. Been loving the way they've been not doing 50-50 booking with the Hardys. Um, I think Sheamus and Cesaro are fine no matter what, but the Hardys winning consistently on Raw and shit has been great. Um, they had yet to really do that. They had yet to really uh, kind of go all in on these guys and whatever else. and Not not yet to really go all in on them, but I don't know what I'm saying. I'm talking about I'm glad they're going all in on them and that they're not doing the 50-50 booking and making them less special. They feel like a special attraction right now. They should be. They're the fucking Hardy boys, you know? Uh, the broken stuff, apparently there's a new report out, with the, you know, not a report, but Ed Norholm, I think his name is, the president of uh, Anthem, in, uh, Anthem Wrestling, whatever, uh, Anthem Media, I don't know, but uh, he came out and talked about having ownership over the Broken Hardy stuff, Matt Hardy responded, they showed a log, and he said WWE had no interest. I would take that as WWE not having interest in, in paying TNA for the gimmick, um, but they would use it if they could. That's how I interpreted it. Not exactly how Norholm had said it went down, but that was how I interpreted it. Anyway, um, so there was that Hardy winning, and then we get Hardy in uh, the Hardy Boys versus Sheamus and Cesaro at Extreme Rolls in a steel cage match, which would be pretty good. Austin Aries beating Tony Nese. Good match. Clever finish. Uh, Aries going for a guillotine. He's blocked it. Right into the last chancery, Aries wins, hyping up the submission match. Four extreme rules before uh, Aries, or, or uh, rather Nice, was attacked afterwards by Neville. Heading into the Aries-Neville rematch at the pay-per-view. 
Bliss and Mickey James, Alexa Bliss and Mickey James having another missable match. Unfortunately, I talked about it two weeks ago how Mickey James return to WWE has really fell flat for me personally. Um, I think a lot of people can say the same thing, but this match was just complete throwaway. Did not really do much for me at all. Um, Bliss won to hype up the Bailey Bliss match for the pay per view, the Kendo Stick match. The Kendo Stick match. Um, Alexa Bliss just battering James with the Kendo Stick. She sold it like a million bucks. Bailey came out for the save. Again, furthering that feud. And then the main event, Joe and Bray Wyatt, Samoa Joe and Bray Wyatt, taking on former Shield brethren, Roman Reigns and Seth Rollins. Uh, good, solid tag team match. I thought that this was really good. Joe and Wyatt winning in the end. Uh, Reigns and Rollins teasing tension. So we have Reigns and Rollins one-on-one next week. And then Joe, Wyatt, and Balor next week in a triple threat match. So I look forward to those two matches. Um, I, I wish they would advertise matches in advance, like one week in advance more often. But I get why they're doing it here, just because it's Memorial Day next week and they want to pop a big rating. Uh, Raw apparently did its worst numbers in many months this past week, so that fucking sucks. But uh, they got to do a better job of hyping stuff in advance and just having a better TV show. Because this was a, it was a good show. Um, it was a solid show, but it wasn't anything like worth writing home about. SmackDown, kind of the same thing. I already talked a lot about SmackDown, but um, for the stuff I didn't talk about... Uh, Shane McMahon announced a Money in the Bank ladder match for the pay-per-view next month. It's going to be AJ Styles versus Shinsuke Nakamura. That alone got me excited, but those two versus Kevin Owens versus Dolph Ziggler versus Sami Zayn versus Baron Corbin. So again, those six guys should go out there, if, if Zayn is indeed in it, should go out there and have a great fucking ladder match. Um, we had a women's tag team match, Becky Lynn. I think I forgot to talk about it earlier from Backlash. Um, the Natalia Carmella Tamina versus Naomi Charlotte and Becky match. It was whatever. I could not care less. I could not have cared less about this tag team match either. But on the bright side, uh, two you know pieces of good news here. Next week we got a fatal five way match. I think elimination style uh, rules with Becky Charlotte Natalia Carmella and Tamina facing off for the uh, number one contendership to the tag team, or to the SmackDown Women's Championship, winner earning a shot at the strap and money in the bank. I've also heard rumblings, as I'm sure many other people have as well, about a money in the bank match featuring the women for the pay-per-view too. Uh, just, because in the, just because they're having the five-way on Tuesday doesn't mean they can't do a five-way, like a four-woman money in the bank ladder match. Uh, like they take out... Let's say Natalia wins, okay? They do Natalia and Naomi at the pay-per-view. Then you have Carmella, Tamina, Becky, and Charlotte. Again, what I talked about before, and I talk, I'll talk about it tomorrow on the random video blog for YouTube. I won't go into too much detail about it now. But as I've said before, in regards to a women's Money in the Bank ladder match, I'm not a big fan just because they do not have that many great wrestlers. Like if it's Natalia, Becky, and Charlotte, I'm sure they would go out there and have a great match. Carmella being in a ladder match just screams dangerous to me. Tamina being in a ladder match screams reckless to me. So that's why I've never been the biggest proponent of a women's Money in the Bank ladder match. But again, with the right women like Becky, Charlotte, and Natalia, it could be good. It could be good. So we'll see what they do. They could put Lana in there, which would be a fucking train wreck as Lana sucks um, in the ring anyway. So, I, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure where they go with this or what they do or who they put in it um, other than the women I just said. But <sighs> I'm very of two minds about it just because I think it, it could be very dangerous with who they have on the SmackDown side in regards to Carmella and a Tamina. But at least it's something new. They're breaking new ground. I don't really know if there's a, if there's really a need to give a, a Money in the Bank briefcase to a woman, you know, to, to someone in a division with only six women in it. That's kind of ridiculous. But we'll, we'll see what they do. And hopefully it's something, um, you know, it, it, it's good. It Hopefully it's good. It's a good match. And they, you know, are, it, it exceeds my expectations anyway. Uh, I already talked about Zayn and Corbin. Mahal's celebration talked about that. Uh, they had the rematch between the Usos and Brazongo after Tyler Breeze J- beat Jey Uso and Fandango beat Jimmy Uso. Uh, obviously the Usos retaining the title and another good match, another fun match. Shinsuke Nakamura and AJ Styles teaming up in the main event against Kevin Owens and AJ Styles. Or, did I put fucking, I put Owens and Styles here. I mean, Owens and, uh, Dolph Ziggler. A very, very long match. Probably a lot longer than it needed to be, but 
Can't complain about a pairing between Nakamura and Styles. Uh, that's a dream pairing right there, a dream team right there. I'm sure they're kind of teasing and planting the seeds, foreshadowing for a Nakamura-Styles one-on-one match, hopefully at WrestleMania 34. Um, but a good match, though, nevertheless, to close out a solid edition of SmackDown Live on Tuesday. So that does it, guys. I'm going to wrap it up here for WrestleRant Radio for today, May 25th, 2017. I appreciate your support. Thanks for checking the show, as always. Um, as I said earlier, flying solo from here on out on WrestleRant Radio with Tom riding off into the sunset, RJ having retired from the show about a year ago. Um, it will be me. Flying Solo, Graham G.S. Matthews, right here on WrestleRant Radio, with maybe a few guests thrown in every every now and again uh, in the months and years ahead. The show has lasted four years, and, you know, here's to many years uh, going forward. So, again, thank you for your support. Continue to show your support all over the social media platforms by following me on Twitter at WrestleRant. Find me on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash Graham.Jason.Matthews. Subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. And of course, as I said earlier, new episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio every single Thursday. Check it out as soon as they go up uh, right here on nextairwrestling.net. So all that being said, guys, next week we will, we will be back with Extreme Rules predictions for that Sunday. I'm looking forward to talking about that. And any other news and notes from the world of WWE and the world of wrestling, more reviews of Raw, SmackDown, and maybe NXT and 205 Live as well. Until next time, guys, I'm Graham GSM Matthews. Have an awesome fucking weekend. Now catch your ass down the road.